Have you got teenagers in the house? Has there been an expression of interest about role-playing? How can you avoid spoiling their first experience of the game? Hello and welcome to this Roleplay Rescue special bonus episode on the topic of gaming with teenagers. My name is Che Webster and this is the podcast about getting people back to the table with roleplaying games. This episode is brought to you by the generous support of the Roleplay Rescue patrons over on patreon.com forward slash RPG Rescue. We recently hit another Patreon goal and this bonus episode is being made by way of a thank you. This is Gaming with Teenagers. It's very much a conversation aimed at adults, so I'd like to apologise up front to any actual young adults listening to the podcast. Honestly, I'm hoping to act as a bit of a bridge between generations. Anyway, let's get started. As a school teacher working with 11 to 18 year old students, I've learned a thing or two about introducing teenagers to the role playing hobby. And the first thing I've learned is to never refer to teenagers as teenagers or teens. The term I'm going to adopt is young adult because that's how young people generally prefer to view themselves. I know because I never stopped feeling that way myself, and I bet you didn't either. In my early pre-teaching career working for Games Workshop, I ran a hobby store which hosted tabletop wargaming sessions every week. Those days taught me buckets about how to approach a variety of people. I was myself still pretty young, an astonishingly naive 23-year-old, and I worked with staff who were generally younger than me. Customers included the majority of people aged 10 through into their early 20s. Later on, working at Games Workshops HQ in Nottingham, I took the lead on developing tools to help create gaming clubs aimed at young adults. I was working with school teachers to set up clubs in places of learning, and I was working with the library service to encourage clubs on their turf as well. I was also working with a myriad of privately run hobby clubs all over the UK. By the time the GW accountants pulled the plug on our project, there were 10 staff supporting hundreds of clubs all over the UK. And when you add my nine years in teaching, creating clubs in two separate and very different schools, I think it's fair to say that I have a positive track record in gaming with young adults. Through my blog, I've written in the past about setting up a gaming club in a school, and I later added some ideas inspired by my experiences with D&D 5th edition. And even later, I updated that advice once again. So, yeah, a lot of what I have to say is drawn from those articles and further updated here. Suffice it to say that I've worked with a lot of young adults and helped many to get into the role-playing games hobby. Some of them have even stuck around. All of that said, though, I have to admit, everybody's a little bit different. And so your mileage on this advice, frankly, it may vary. Inspired by Dave Aldridge of Deep Percentile Podcast, I'm going to roll 1d10 and deliver that many tips in this episode. I've written down 10 key tips, and I'm happy to record them all, but I feel like I ought to add an element of excitement and mystery to this episode too. So, in the true spirit of gaming, I'm going to roll 1d10 on my Young Adult Gaming Tips table and see what we get. Here goes! Oh, okay, wow, um, that's a 9. Well, let's dive in. 
Number one, treat teens like adults. I've always approached teenagers like they were adults. To be more precise, I've dealt with teens as peers. When I was first going to secondary school, aka high school, I disliked it when adults treated me like a child. In fact, I generally disliked the way in which every adult around me thought that they knew better and that I was an idiot. When I think about it, that dislike has never gone away. I pretty much always hated smug adults who thought they knew best. I hate it when I realise that sometimes I've turned into one of those as well. It's usually in a classroom when someone is behaving like a child. And thus I much prefer to treat young people as young adults. When I joined the Regia Anglorum, that's a Saxon and Viking reenactment society in the UK, I met a bunch of guys in their 30s, 40s and 50s who treated me like a peer. They didn't talk down to me, they didn't patronise me, and they expected me to learn the skills I needed to take on an effective role within that society. In the same way, I've learned to teach new gamers in the same spirit, treat them as peers. I assume that an interested gamer is capable of learning the game, I don't prepare watered-down scenarios or simplistic adventures aimed at children. I create the genuine gaming experience that I would want any adult gamer to take part in. Certainly, I'm mindful to avoid the themes that I know some adults would find distasteful. That's no different than simply respecting a person you don't know very well. But what I don't do is avoid those themes because I am dealing with a child. Here's the nub. Treat the new teenager at your gaming table in the same way you would like to have been treated when you started gaming. As an adult, with respect and with patience. That's why I prefer to talk about young people as young adults. Everyone aspires to be treated as a peer. Number two. Remember that people are mirrors. I don't quite know when or where I picked up this belief. It probably arose from my general interest in psychology and general observations of the world around me. But hey, it certainly seems to be real to me. People are mirrors. What I mean is that whatever energy you project out into the world tends to get reflected back at you when it hits other people. Are you angry? Get angry with people around you and they will get angry right back. Going positive, you're far more likely to get a positive response in return. Certainly there are plenty of people whose mirror is, shall we say, tarnished, and some for whom the mirror is totally caked in crap. You know the type, people who seem to have toughened themselves against the harsh experience of life, and they prefer to hide underneath all of that. Positive psychology guru Andy Cope calls them mood hoovers. It's an apt title. They kind of suck all the joy out of everyone else. But most people aren't mood hoovers all of the time. People are mirrors. Younger people are people too. And as I understand it, the fact of the massive hormonal changes going on in the adolescent body means that emotionally, these young adults feel emotions more intensely and more acutely than older adults. We've forgotten this as we get older, so in a lot of ways people in adolescence are just more sensitive to the emotions of others. And they're very good at reading adults. Given that it's impossible for humans not to have an effect on other human beings, even when we try to do nothing, we have an important point here to consider. 
In short, whatever energy you put out there is going to be reflected back. I want to develop this thought further in a a moment, but please take a moment to consider the truth of this. I suspect the parents out there know what I'm talking about. If you go in hard and aggressive, you'll probably get a pretty hard and defensive reaction. And if you go in gentle, you might not get heard because what's being reflected back is not strong enough to register. I'd recommend bringing high energy in a positive manner. Adolescents are, by nature, intense humans. They are never more creative than between the onset of puberty and around about 30 years of age. They are taking more risks than older adults. Their emotions are brighter and higher volume. Everything looks, feels, smells, tastes and sounds more intense to a teen. Thus, to break into their space, you need to be loud, proud, positive and energetic. Shine yourself onto their shiny, mirror-clear lives. They will respond with whatever you give them. Number three. First time, make it a pickup game. The first time I game with a new group of people, I remember that I get just one chance to hook them. The first game has to be a pickup, one-shot, short game. This is made easy for me because, being a school teacher, I would be very lucky to get much more than an hour at the table each week. If you can't intro someone into the hobby inside one hour, you're doing it wrong. Yes, I know this is a hobby that absorbs more time than that each sitting, and I know the average game is about four hours. But, frankly, you need to do the first game in an efficient, energetic style. And it has to be a one-shot. Honestly, I'd approach it in one of two ways. If I've got a young person who wants to try the games they know I play, and this is my usual situation, then I run them through a game that I both enjoy playing and know how to play. If it's a totally cold intro, then I run something super light and very generic. Fantasy works for this. It's the most popular genre in gaming, and I think a lot of that is because the tropes of Dungeons & Dragons have filtered down through all popular culture enough to mean that most people know what you mean when you say words like elf, or dragon, or magic sword. First time, make it a pickup game. You get one hour. Make it count. Number four. Give them what they need. Any new player needs to have the equipment required to play. Young adults, even given the outrageous, outrageous amounts of pocket money they might receive and the high value of their phones, they won't prioritise this stuff. To be fair, many new older adult gamers don't prioritise this either. When I start a new player in my group, I give them a set of dice. I give them a character sheet, preferably one-sided and minimalist. I lend them a pencil and a razor. And I allow them access at the table to the rule books I own. Or at least, I show them the book so they know what's what, but I tell them what they need to know. And if anyone needs to look anything up that isn't on the sheet or on your own quick reference sheet, then frankly you suck. (laughs) What a new player needs is dice, pencil and a character sheet or a piece of paper. So give them those things. Honestly, despite the many times I've provided a copy of the basic rules of D&D 5th edition or similar, a player does not need a rulebook. Only once they gravitate to long-term play might they get curious enough to read one, but just like with adults, a lot of players don't ever desire to read the books. GMs read books. That said, 
I'd like to keep basic rules booklets around for the occasional gamer who immediately shows GM potential. There will be roughly 1 in 10. And for this, I print off things like the D&D basic rules as a saddle-stitched A5 booklet, but then I like to be prepared. Give them the information they need to actually play. For example, in a recent BX D&D game, I started by giving them a set of polyhedral dice and a character sheet. One of the cute items I found in a local shop was a set of three D6 erasers, so I got the new players to roll up their attributes with those. Roll three D6 in order six times. We added the hit numbers, and then they chose a class, and we added the saving throw numbers, and then they roll for some cash. We bought a weapon and armor, they chose an equipment pack, um, and then, you know, Magic and users and elves chose their first spells or just rolled on the table. And basically then we played. It took less than 15 minutes. Easy peasy. I have noticed that given a set of dice, the new player always feels like they joined your group. It's like a membership badge. Add the chance to make their own character and they engage very quickly. Even if they die in the first scene, the sense of belonging that comes from owning dice and knowing how to make a hero is enough. They are ready to play. And yes, you did hear that right. I encourage new players to make a character. I stopped using pregens a while ago because a huge part of role-playing games is creating your own first character. And I don't want to rob people of that joy. If your rule system for introducing players can't generate a character inside 15 to 20 minutes, it's the wrong game to intro with. There. Look, I've said it. I think there's a later tip related to this one too, but anyway, look, the bottom line, give them what they need. Number five, introduce role-playing before rules. Role-playing games are about decisions. The basic structure of the RPG is, as the angry GM puts it, the DM presents a situation the players imagine their characters in that situation and decide how the character acts in response. The DM determines the outcome and describes the results, creating a new situation. Thus, the primary role of the player is to decide how their character acts in the situation presented by the DM. Thus, decisions. For the new player, the first thing to do is give them a character. Honestly, as much as I had success with pre-generated characters... I recommend allowing a new, young player to create their own, and quickly. Once they have a character, drop them into the action. Give them a situation that's interesting and ask them, what do you want to do? That sounds simple enough, but I'd make sure it's a nice, clear situation. My favourite introductory game is a fantasy goblin hunt, simply because in modern culture everyone knows what goblins are and that heroes are supposed to vanquish them. If it's not a fantasy, I go for a nice clear-cut confrontation scene. Military SF, modern cops and terrorists, or kaiju versus mecha, whatever. Once they are in the situation, get them to focus on what their character will do. What the actions are. I tell them to ignore the sheet. Not to look at that stuff at all, but to simply imagine the scene and decide. What do you do? Once the player chooses an action, adjudicate it. Once the rules come into play, explain what you are doing as you go. Keep the rule stuff brief. Focus on the role-playing, i.e. the decision-making that that person is having with their character. And make sure the situation unfolds fairly. 
Do not get hung up on anything other than helping each player to make decisions in the role of their character. No acting is required. Here's the situation. What do you want to do? What next? They feel like a peer. They have dice and a character. They've learned to roleplay. That is, they've learned to make choices in the game. Win or lose, they are now a gamer. Invite them back. Encourage them to be clever and cunning. Ask questions to help them figure out solutions. Avoid telling them how to solve the problems. And emphasise the importance of teamwork. But the rest, as they say, it comes naturally. Just like it did for us when we first started playing. So go with it. Number six. Give them clear structure. People like structure. Young people will tell you that they hate rules and boundaries, but that's not really true. They want to have a say in the behavioural rules, certainly, but most people starting in any new activity will appreciate a clear structure. For this reason, I am going to stick my neck out and suggest that you play a class and level type RPG with newbies. If you really can't stomach that, you must provide some pre-generated archetypes and reduce the decision-making for the new person. Thus, in games like Savage Worlds or GURPS, in games with no class and level structure, you are best off offering some templates and allowing them a few small tweaks to personalise the character. Choices between a few things work best. I'd recommend no more than five choices. Which archetype or class? Which race or species? Do you want to be tough and strong or fast and dexterous? Are you smart or wise? Do you get along well with others and why are you a bit socially challenged? You might get away with adding a choice of weapons or armour, a sword, axe, bow, spear or mace. Do you carry a shield? Right, done. People struggle with unlimited choice. They flounder. Once they get the basics of play, have a few sessions under their belt and feel confident, well, that's when they'll push those boundaries and discover that Perhaps for the first time in their lives, there is room for their natural expansion. Because role-playing games are infinitely expandable, new gamers quickly discover that there are more options, and they'll want to try them. So let them, but not for session one. Give them a clear structure. Limit the choices. Get them playing. Number seven. Don't set table rules. Agree some table manners. Setting rules at the table puts the GM in a position of authority, and this can be counterproductive. While new players can easily understand that the GM is the arbiter, the game is better for all when the players feel that everybody's voice at the table is equal. Add in the general dislike that young adults have for older people telling them how to behave, and frankly you're on dangerous territory. Instead, have the players agree to a code of conduct at the table. Ask questions to help them create that code of conduct if you need to. I start with, what would you say are the top three rules for showing respect at the table? The other day I actually went away and just said, hey, five minutes, decide what the code of conduct is for our gaming table. And I walked away and I let them do it. When I came back, I had them explain it to me. Overall, this is a stronger approach because it reflects the earlier advice about treating people as adults. The group will become governed by the group as a set of peers instead of bowing to your authority. Agree the table manners. 
Agree the house rules of behaviour and do that together. Be brief at session one. If they play more than once, then each time a problem arises, simply ask, I've noticed that X keeps happening. What can we do to stop that from interrupting the game? Listen and adopt the group's decision. I personally find this hard. I am an authoritarian by nature, but it is counterproductive. Don't set table rules. Agree some table manners. Number eight. Refrain from teacher mode. Adult GMs will default to parent or guardian mode when playing with younger people. Inexperience leads to some frankly stupid decisions and even silly behaviour. This feels frustrating at times. Some GMs will feel the need to admonish players for what they deem as inappropriate actions or unheroic motivations for their characters. Telling a young person something is bad, wrong or inappropriate will have some pretty limited positive effect. Remember, people are mirrors. You are far better using some different strategies. Yes, okay, but have you considered... What do you think might happen if you do that? What are you aiming to achieve here? I like to understand where my players are coming from. Be generous enough to present possible ramifications and consequences for actions. Present those possibilities to the whole table. Allow the player's peers to guide them into the course of action that might lead to the best outcome. Allow them space to screw it up. Everyone learns by making mistakes. In fact, I believe that mistakes are almost to be encouraged. If you're running a game that can handle a new character inside 15 minutes, then character death is an amusing but essentially easily fixed problem. In my experience, teaching organically works better. People learn best from experience. The role-playing table is a safe space to try out strategies and take huge risks. Actually, I believe gaming helps young people learn to estimate risk and learn the consequences for recklessness without actually dying or harming themselves. This not only works because the player has time to reflect on their choices without feeling personally challenged, but also because it is peer-guided. The young person absorbs the concepts much more willingly. So, refrain from teacher mode. Number nine, be generous. This is perhaps just me, but I think we adults should give our young people the things we most value ourselves. Pass to the next generation the things that we think are useful, but also the things that we personally value. I give copies of rule books to budding GMs. I give dice sets away. I give vintage copies of classic games to new players who express an interest. Be generous with your hobby. Be generous also with the other stuff that comes with the hobby. Share your music. Share film recommendations. Talk about TV series and novels that you love. Not forcefully. Not in a nagging manner. Just be natural. If it comes up in conversation, share it. Put it out there. If they are interested, let them run off and enjoy it. You remember those guys at Regia Anglorium back when I was a kid? Those guys got me into bands like Magnum. They shared films with me. And basically, they helped shape my interests. 
I find that people love it when someone shares something of themselves. So be generous with who you are. So that's it. 1D10 tips for gaming with young adults. I hope that has had some value for someone. Before I go, however, a couple of things that I've heard said and I'd basically like to say that I don't really buy into. I have been told that teens today are not into OSR-style play. Well, frankly, I don't agree. I think people are mirrors, and I think they will be interested in whatever version of the hobby you present to them, because they don't know any better. If you don't like the OSR, well, they'll learn not to like it as well, if you talk about it. That is, right up until they find someone who loves it, and then they escape the narrow view of the hobby they got from the first person they spoke to and they kind of broaden it. I think we all have a narrow view of the hobby. I think we all view it through our own lens and I think what's dangerous is kind of trying to say this is the one true way. The way I see it, just go and play what you like with young people. Drop all the labels. It's all role playing. I've had new teen gamers play everything. We've played Dungeons & Dragons 5th Edition, certainly. But we've also played BX D&D, Castles and Crusades, RuneQuest, Mithras Classic Fantasy, GURPS, Imagine Roleplaying, Rollmaster, Savage Worlds, and quite a few I've forgotten. There simply isn't a limit. People are into playing games with people they like or look up to. Young people are people like anyone else, and they therefore have their own tastes. But initially... They are showing a willingness to enter your world. And I think it's counterproductive to present your personal view of gaming as the one true way. Instead, just play. Show them how cool it can be. Play. And if they go and want to try something different, then fine. Let them drift off and try something different. And keep smiling and encouraging them to play. Go and read the stuff about the types of players if you want, but I've never found that I really fit any of those categories myself, and I doubt anyone else truly does. They are perhaps useful tools, but up to a point. They never take into account the fact that people are constantly changing beings. We are not one thing. We are ever-changing. We are evolving and learning, and that is, frankly, to be celebrated. Game on. I'd like to give a big shout out to the patrons who support the show with their generous support via the Roleplay Rescue Patreon. This episode was the reward for our community hitting the 20 supporter mark. I want to say very clearly that without these people, I might well have been tempted to stop podcasting, probably quite some time ago. Having people who are willing to put one, three or five dollars behind their encouragement is, to me, amazing. Here is the Roleplay Rescue Roll of Honour, the people who made this episode happen. The Mighty Swordbearers, Nick Lockwood and Mark Grahan. The Brave Shieldbearers, Pure Mongrel, Aaron Barkley, Tim Shorts, Ray Otis and Frank Turfler. The Intrepid Torchbearers, the Armchair Adventurers, Brian Miller, Geoffrey Collier, Spencer Game, Hobbs and Friends, Richard Fraser, Matt Jackson, Darren Green, aka Arfed, Glenn Robinson, Edwin King, Christian Richards, Peter Skeynes, 
and Vance Atkins. Thank you, all of you, sincerely. Thanks for listening to this special bonus episode of Roleplay Rescue. I hope you enjoyed it. Huge thanks to Pure Mongrel, who tipped us over into hitting the goal, and who was also generous enough to share his own thoughts on the topic, several of which I have shamelessly stolen. I hope that, having grabbed this episode, you'll stick around and try some of the back catalogue for the podcast too. There is also a fair bit of new stuff being planned. Don't go anywhere. Anyway, that's it for this episode. I'm Che Webster. Thanks for listening. And I'll be back soon with another episode of Roleplay Rescue. Game on.